my name is Mike King, if I haven't met you all here before, and I actually go with Martha, who was just up here. And yeah, it'll actually about three weeks from now is our 25th wedding anniversary, if you can believe that. Um, you should actually, no, you should. <laughs> you should, you should applaud her, actually. <laughs> She's had to put up a we are. Thank you. Uh, Got Peggy here on the front row. Do, do you guys ever remember the Muppets? Anybody old enough to remember the Muppets? Remember the two cranky old Muppets, Statler and Waldorf, that were all up and that would harass people on stage? I feel like I had that here at Suburban. And, you know, it just, <laughs> it just feels like home. So there you go. Um, okay, so Thanksgiving. We just had the Thanksgiving holiday. And as we get started, I wanted to check in. Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that, that tends to have a lot of traditions associated with it. So I was thinking about this. I actually Googled, like, list of holiday traditions, and I just would be curious to know which ones of these traditions you all, we, we as a church, we engaged in. So I'll just kind of go through some of those, and if you're a part of that, you can just raise your hand. So we'll start out with an easy one, uh, the meal. How many people attended a meal where turkey was served uh, this? Just, yeah. Again, most of us, we don't eat turkey any other time of the year, but we do it Thanksgiving for whatever reason. Uh, another big tradition, football. How many people watched uh, at least part of a football game? Yeah. How many of you are either Oregon State or Ohio State fans and left the football dejected at the end of the weekend? Well, they, they can't all go your way. Um, what about this Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? Did anybody watch some of that? Yeah, yeah, so there you go. And I was, honestly, I was really thrilled to see this on the official, because it was on the internet, so it must be true, uh, official list of holiday traditions, um, taking a nap. Did anybody else manage to get a nap in this weekend? Okay, yeah, like the 19-year-old did. That doesn't seem fair, um, but okay. Uh, but yeah, so our, our family took part in a number of traditions like that. But one of the traditions that we always had growing up that we have done with our family is when we gather for the meal, at some point during that meal, we take some time and we go around and everybody shares something that we're thankful for. And it was really kind of fun this year. This year we had some family with us, we had some neighbors and some friends that we know. So we had this, this span of ages from like five to grandparent age. And it was really neat just to hear some of the different things that they were thankful for. Um, but that's one of those things that we do because it really does help us remember that the holiday is not just about food and football. It really is about stopping and, and reflecting back on the past year or, or paying attention to what's going on in your life right now, remembering what's going on and choosing to be grateful. Um, so keep that idea in mind because the idea of, of remembering and being grateful is a pretty big theme in the Bible. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, and this morning, we're finishing up a sermon series where we've been looking together at the Old Testament book of Esther. So to get started, I'd love to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Esther chapter 9. If it would help you for any reason, there's some red Bibles in those seats in front of you. You can grab one of those. Turn to the page number that's there on the screen. Um, but we're spending time studying this particular ancient text because I think there's an awful lot in this text that can encourage us, but also challenge us. It can convict us, but also comfort us. So what we've done each week is we've gone back and we've tried to say, okay, what, what was one of the lessons that God was trying to communicate to the original audience back then? And then how do we take that lesson and let it inform the way that we work to follow God and follow Jesus in our lives today. And you may have guessed, but the, the lesson that we're looking at today is all about remembering. And in fact, if I had to summarize the entire Bible, right, all thousand pages of it in one word, the word that I would probably choose is the word remember, right? Remember who God is. Remember what God has done for you. And let what you remember inform the way that you live moving forward. So first what I want to do is look at how this plays out in the story of Esther. So just kind of a quick recap on the story to get us up to chapter 9. 
Uh, at the beginning of Esther, we meet the Persian king Xerxes, who is basically a buffoon. Um, after a week of heavy drinking with his friends, he gets what he thinks is a great idea, and he, in his drunken stupor, commands the queen to come in and parade around in front of his drinking buddies. Uh, she refuses to do this, so he essentially fires her, gets rid of her, but then he's got a job opening. So he realizes he needs a new queen, so he commands his officials to go all throughout the empire and find beautiful young girls that they bring back to the capital, and he's going to sleep with one of them each night until the text says he discovers who pleases him the most, and then that girl is going to become the queen. So it ends up that Esther, a young Jewish woman, becomes queen. But at this point in the story, Esther doesn't reveal to the king her ethnic identity. She doesn't let him know that she's Jewish. Uh, so shortly after that, sometime after that, uh, Esther's uncle, a man named Mordecai, offends one of Xerxes' top officials, a guy named Haman. And Haman is so angry, he decides he wants to get revenge on, on Mordecai. But he's so angry, it's not enough just to kill Mordecai. He decides he's going to kill every Jewish person in the empire. So he goes to the king, to Xerxes, who's probably been drinking again, and he convinces him that the Jewish people are nothing but trouble. He pays them a pretty hefty bribe, and, and he convinces the king to roll the dice. And in, in Hebrew, the word for dice is the word Purim. So he rolls the dice, and it picks a day several months out on the calendar, and the king issues a new law saying on that day, the day that the dice chose, it's completely legal for anybody in the empire to kill any Jewish person they want, take all their stuff. There's zero consequences for that. So... Um, that sets up the central tension in the book, right? Because God's people, the Jewish people, are in danger. And at this point, we don't know if or how God is going to work to save them. So when Mordecai hears about this new law, he goes to Esther. He says, Esther, you're the queen. You're in a unique position. You kind of got the ear of the king. Would you intercede on behalf of the Jewish people? And she's a little hesitant to do it because of some different things, but she invites the Jewish people to fast and pray with her. She decides to go in, and the king is happy to see her. She explains what's going on with the law and how, you know, she's actually Jewish. She reveals her identity, and she's going to be killed. And the king gets so angry at Haman for passing this law that he ends up executing him and decides to help the Jewish people. Now, the way that laws worked at that time, you couldn't revoke a law once you put it out. So he can't get rid of this law that says it's okay to kill the Jews. Instead, what he does is he issues a new law saying on that same day when it's legal for people to attack the Jews, it's now legal for the Jewish people to take up arms and defend themselves. So that's where we're at at the very beginning of chapter 9 in verse 1 when that day, the day that was chosen by the dice, arrives. So the first verse says this. It says, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. So that's the day the dice chose. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. So the Jewish people are able to defend themselves, and right, we think, great, you know, story's over, and the next line should be, and they all lived happily ever after, the end of the book. Um, but the book doesn't end there. There's like a whole other chapter after this. There's something else that's really important that happens. So if you move down to the end of chapter 9 and verse 26, you read this. It says, Because of everything written in this letter, and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. 
So the, the story comes to a close, and the Jewish people realize, wait, what happened here? This is, this is so big. We can't forget this. We need to make sure that we remember the way that God showed up in power and miraculously saved us. So they actually create a new religious holiday, a religious festival every year where they're going to remember this. And they name it Purim, right? They name it after the, the dice that were used to, to pick that day. And the Jewish people to this day still celebrate the festival of Purim every year. It usually happens in early March. And really, if you stop and think about it, at its heart, that festival, it's all about remembering who God is and remembering what God has done. And again, if I had to summarize the Bible in one word, I mean, if you really push it, you got to pick one word. I would pick the word remember. It's all about remembering who God is and remembering what God has done. And in that sense, what we read about in the book of Esther is just one more illustration of this theme that you just see repeated over and over and over again in the Bible. Remembering who God is and what God has done is the foundation of a faithful life. Remembering who God is and what God has done is what grounds us in what is true about the world and about reality and about our relationship with God. Remembering who God is and what he has done is where we find the wisdom and the guidance that we need to faithfully follow God in this world. And, and this is not just something that we see in the book of Esther. If you start reading the Bible with this lens of remembering, you start to see this everywhere. Right? There's examples of it all over the place. One of my favorite ones happens in the Old Testament book of Joshua. So history, right? So the, the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. God rescues them, and he's leading them, and he's going to lead them into what we know as the land of Israel today, the, the promised land that's going to be their home base where they're going to live. But so he leads them through the wilderness, and they're just about to enter into the land, but there's a problem. They have to cross the Jordan River, and it's the time of the year when the Jordan River is at flood stage, right? So there's a lot of water going through that river. And remember, like, there are no bridges back then, right? There's no, like, interstate highway overpasses to get them over there. Like, this is a really significant problem to move the entire people across this river. But it's not a problem for God, who miraculously just kind of stops the water, makes it pile up, everybody goes across. But what I think is most remarkable about that story is not the miracle, as great as that is. It's what God does next. It's like God realizes, okay, if the people of Israel, there's just this miracle, they came across the water, if they just go on into the promised land sooner or later, and probably sooner because this is how we all are, they're going to forget what just happened. They're going to forget this whole miracle. So before they're able to go any farther into the promised land, God's like, okay, you need to stop and you need to get a bunch of big rocks and you need to pile it up and make a big monument here. And the reason for that is that in the future, when you're wandering through this part of the country and your kids are with you, the kids are going to see this giant pile of rocks, pile of rocks and say, what is that all about? And then you can tell your kids that it was right here that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. This is what it says. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Right? It's as if God says, like, I know that y'all are forgetful. So we need to do something that leaves a permanent mark on the land. That whenever you see it, it's going to remind you about what I did. It's going to help you keep this present in your mind. It can influence the way you live. Okay, so how does all of that connect with us today? I don't know what your experience in life has been, but on occasion, I have forgotten things. I don't know if anybody else has that problem or not, um, but yeah, most of us, right? This is a widespread human issue, and in case in point, do you know what one of the best-selling Christmas gifts was last year? It was air tags, right? Does anybody have an air tag or had to use it on the... Oh, you guys are all just too ashamed to admit it. That's okay. Cass Hobbs, thank you. So AirTags are these little things that Apple came up with that you can attach to your keys or your wallet. You can stick it in your purse so that when you forget where you put them, 
you can just pull up this app on your phone and it says like, oh, your keys are 20 feet in this direction and it helps you get there, right? Because we all need help remembering stuff. We all forget things and need that extra help. Uh, and it turns out that God recognizes this about people. And he addresses our need to be reminded at every turn. So all throughout the Bible, you see this command to remember, but you also see God coming up with some really creative ways to help people actually do that. Uh, so for example, right, parents, in Deuteronomy 6, there's a verse that says you should take this, this key part of God's law and, and write it on a little piece of paper, stick it in a little box, and stick that box on the door frame of your house so that every time you go in and out of your house, you remember God's law. Every time you go in and out with your kids, you're like, oh, by the way, let me tell you about God and who he is and what he's done. It's that reminder. Or think about the, the book of Psalms, right? The book of Psalms were the poems. They were the songs that the people of Israel sang when they gathered together for worship, right? Just like we sang songs as we got together this morning. Like, this is, these are the songs they used in their worship life. And if you go back to the Psalms and read through them, so many of them are just telling the story of what God has done. So think about what God has done just in, in having those psalms included in the Bible. He's built this way in so that when people gather together for worship, they are reminding themselves by telling the story of who God is and what he's done. It's a way to help them remember what they might otherwise forget. And it's actually not just an Old Testament thing, right? You see this idea in the New Testament and in the way that we practice the Christian life today. And really where I think we see this most clearly is in the practice of communion. You know, we take communion together every single week here at Suburban. And just like people can use the Thanksgiving meal as a chance to remember and be grateful, uh, communion does that for us as well. Because at its heart, communion is really a way to remember who God is and what it is that God has done for us. And that the actual practice of communion goes back to Jesus himself. He, he instituted it when he was having a final meal with his disciples. And actually, that meal was another thing that God had put in place to help the people of Israel remember something. That meal was part of a different Jewish religious festival, the Passover. Right? So every year, the Jewish people were commanded to gather together and celebrate the Passover because it helped remind them about how God had rescued their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. And by the first century, when Jesus is having this meal with his disciples, there was hundreds of years of traditions had built up, just like we have our Thanksgiving holiday traditions. There were all these traditions that were built up about the way the Passover meal played out. So, for example, there were four different courses of food. And in between each of the courses of food, they would take a single cup of wine. This was before COVID. They would pass it around the table, and everybody would drink from that same cup together. And if you think about it, everything in the meal had a very specific meaning. So, for example, at one point during the meal, they, they would eat these, like, bitter herbs. And it kind of makes your face do that. And it's a reminder of how bitter their lives were when they were slaves in Egypt. At another point, they eat lamb, right? There's roasted lamb. And it's a reminder of the fact that on that Passover night, they were commanded to kill a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and paint it on the doorframe of their house. And then when God came to punish the Egyptians and rescue them, he would pass over the houses that had the blood painted on their door frames. That's where the name Passover comes from. So that's this meal. That's this meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. It's designed to, to help them remember what God did at the Passover. But Jesus takes it and totally shifts the focus of that meal. So look at what he does. We're going to read the version in Matthew where he talks about this. And in verse 26, it says, While they were eating, while they're eating this Passover meal, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I won't drink from the fruit of this vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So to really understand what's going on here, we we have to take just a moment and define that word that Jesus is using, the word covenant, because that's not a word that we use in our daily conversations very much. So a covenant was basically an, an agreement between two parties or two people in the ancient Near East. Uh, as I was trying to think about I think the closest modern equivalent that we have to it today, and it's not exactly the same, but it helps to think about it like a business contract. If you're thinking about it in terms of business contract, you're at least on the right track. It, it defines the roles and responsibilities of the parties that entered into uh, this agreement. And there are a lot of different kinds of covenants back then. But one of the things that they all had in common is that the way that you finalized a covenant, the way that it went into effect, it went into the effect when there was the shedding of blood, typically the sacrifice of an animal. So just like for us today, like a business contract's not valid until people sign on the dotted line. Back then, a covenant wasn't valid until somebody's blood had been spilled. That's, that's what a covenant was. And Jesus' disciples knew that one of the things that the Passover was designed to help them remember was the initial covenant that God made with the people of Israel right after he rescued them from Egypt. In that time, he he brought them right after they come out of Egypt. He brings them, and at the foot of Sinai, he enters into a covenant with them where he promises, like, if you'll follow my laws, I'll be your God. You'll be my special possession. I'll protect you, which is what we just saw him do in the book of Esther, right? That's him keeping his side of the deal. And that covenant, if you read about it in Esther, was put into effect when Moses slaughtered a whole bunch of animals. There was a lot of animal sacrifice involved with that one. But that covenant was, was really a pivotal, defining moment in the life of the people of God. It, it really said, okay, th- this, is, this is who we are. We are God's people now, which is part of the reason that God said, hey, Passover is a big deal. Like, you need to remember this every year. You need to remember how I rescued you. You need to remember this agreement that I've entered in with you. But, but look at what Jesus is doing in this passage in Matthew when he, he starts the Lord's Supper, right? He changes the focus of the meal. He says, okay, in the past, at the Passover meal, you would eat bread. That was part of the meal. It was one of the traditional things. He said, in the Passover meal, you would eat this bread as a way to remember the unleavened bread that you had to bake in a hurry so you'd have something to eat on the road when God rescued you. He says, but from now on, when you eat the bread, don't think about that. From now on, when you eat the bread, I want you to think about my body that's about to be broken for you. He says, in the old covenant meal, right, the, the, the Passover, when you would, would drink the wine, you would think about the blood of the lamb that was spilt to, you know, go over the doorframe. But from now on, when you drink the blood, I want you to think about me and my blood that's being sacrificed for you. Uh, he's, he's really, he's up to something new. Basically, Jesus is saying, look, right now, it's like God's writing a new contract with the people. He's entering into a new covenant with the people where they can relate to him in different ways. And really what Jesus is getting at here is he's saying that, that in him, in his life and his death and his resurrection, God is fulfilling a promise that he made to the people of Israel centuries before this through the prophet Jeremiah, where he describes the day when this new covenant would come. And listen to how he describes it. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It won't be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, right? The one we remembered at Passover. He says, this is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. See, this is, this is what the new covenant is going to be like. It's not going to be like the old one that Passover remembered. You know, there were hundreds of laws in the Old Testament that the people of Israel had to keep to kind of uh, be true to their end of the deal. But in the new covenant, there's not a need for all those laws because now the law is going to be written on people's own hearts because God's spirit can live in each person and help them know him personally and intimately. 
And Jesus, in this meal, he's saying, that new covenant is here, right? It is kicking off tonight. And it, too, is going to be ratified by blood, because that's how a covenant goes into effect. But this time, it's not going to be the blood of a lamb. It's going to be my blood on the cross that I'm shedding for you. That's what puts the new covenant, this new contract, into effect. So that's, that's what communion is. Communion is an adaptation of this old Passover meal that's designed to help people remember this new covenant that, that came into effect through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and that's why Jesus, that's what he wants us to remember. And he knows we need to do this. So that's why in another, uh, I think it's in Luke's version when he's setting up the Passover, or the communion, the Lord's Supper, I'm running out of words, hang with me, we're almost done. <laughs> he says, you need to do this in remembrance of me. So for us today, like when we take communion, we take communion in part to remember who God is and remember what God has done. And it is in remembering that that, that, we, that we have a true encounter with the real power and presence of God that gives us the strength that we need to faithfully follow him in this world, to, to live out of the truth of what God has done for us. And the early Christians, they took this command to do this, they took it very seriously. So every ancient document that we have that describes the worship practices of the early church showed that they took communion together as a regular part of their life together because they knew they needed this ongoing reminder, this ongoing connection with the power and presence of God. And that's why we take communion together every week as well. So we do that to remember who God is and what God has done. And that's why I wanted to actually end the sermon today with communion so we could sort of set it up by thinking a little bit about what it is. And, and here's how we're going to do that practically. Um, if the people who are going to serve the communion elements, if you guys want to get up and get ready to do that, uh, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, the musicians are going to play some instrumental music. And during that time, we'll, we'll pass the trays with the bread and the cup. Uh, if you choose not to take communion with us for any reason, you can just pass that tray right on. But if you feel led to take communion with us, and we certainly would invite you to do that, just grab a cup and grab one of the crackers. And then at any time as we're taking, as we have that instrumental music, we just encourage you to take the bread and the cup. But as you do that, invite God to help you remember who he is. Uh, think back about your own life and the ways that you have seen God's power and his grace and his faithfulness show up. It's a chance to say thank you. It's a chance to remember who he is and what he's done. You know, and if you're here today, and, and I recognize that we have people watching online in, in the room, and you're, you're not quite sure where you are with God. You're still exploring the claims of Christ. You're trying to figure this all out. I just would invite you to take this time to really ask God to show up in your life. Just invite him to, to show you how he has already been working in your life to lead you to this moment. So with those things in mind, would you all pray with me? Father, thank you for the chance that we have to come together today. Um, Man, we, we are forgetful people, and I am at the top of that list. I, I was just thinking, so I was driving in this morning, uh, I was, was reflecting on the weekend and Thanksgiving and just all of the reasons that I have to be grateful, and I, I was really just overwhelmed, God. I was just tearing up. So I was thinking about your faithfulness in my life and my family in this church, right? 60 years Suburban has been a church, and you have done and continue to do such amazing things for your kingdom here because of your grace. And yet, Lord, even as I was driving in, I realized as, as powerful as that moment of gratitude was, I thought, you know, I bet by 2 o'clock today I'm going to forget all about this because I'll get busy doing other things. And that's, that's just how we are. We forget. We need to be reminded, Lord, of who you are and what you've done for us. So I just invite you, Lord, in these moments as we prepare to take communion together, that you would come and that you would speak to each of our hearts and you would help us remember who you are. Help us remember the ways that you have shown up in our lives. 
Help us remember what you have done. And then would you show us what it looks like to follow you faithfully as we head into this week. Amen.